This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area. It is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 555, the neighbor of the beast of the two-headed nerd comic book podcast. Is it though? Nerds, <laughs> my name is Matt Baum. I guess 665. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 665, and 667. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's episode, we're pointing our review spotlight at Suicide Squad number one and Batman 85. Then it's time for a cocktail and a review of eight more of Wednesday, December 18th's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. After that, it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're rapping about our must-read Xmas picks for next week. And finally, we'll untangle the multiversal strings of Jeff John's latest DC shakeup in our TLDR Doomsday Clock Edition segment. But... Before we make a last-ditch effort to get off the naughty list, just in case Grant Morrison's cloud shows up instead of Santa next week, we better talk about this week's Nerd News! I don't even know if my mic, my mic picked that up. That was It definitely <laughs> did. It was loud. You sound like those oh. guys on the Primatine Mist commercials back in the day that couldn't blow out the... <laughs> Match. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, <you know>? <laughs> a semi-retired writer artist Barry Windsor Smith is preparing to release a new graphic novel called Monsters in 2020. Monsters is a 250-page story about quote two disparate American families fatefully connected by an abandoned Nazi project in genetic engineering that has been covertly revived by the U.S. government. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's a uh, the, high uh, concept there, BWS. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, it continues. Monsters explores the disastrous effects of a Nazi program of genetic engineering discovered at the close of World War II upon two American families. Told through intimate naturalistic dialogue and drawings, this tale of the cascading legacy of profound evil blazes new trails in revealing the capacity of comics to be a powerful storytelling medium. Easy B. Yeah. Book's not even out I yet. Mean, <laughs> hey, you got to pump it up. I get it. Uh, this has been, how long since we've seen BWS do anything? I know. Uh, so Monsters is the evolution of a Hulk pitch from the 80s. Oh, damn. Repurposed and expanded into this original creator-owned story. Uh, Windsor Smith has been working on Monsters intermittently since the 1990s. He does not have a publisher yet. I don't think he's going to have any trouble getting it. No, it should be fine. IDW will put this out in a heartbeat. You kidding me? Yeah. I mean, this reminds me very much of like Bernie Wrightson's Frankenstein project that he had uh, that people went gaga over. And Barry Windsor Smith coming back to do anything at all is pretty big news. Oh, definitely. Now, do you know Barry Windsor Smith is only 70? Not that old. I thought he was older than that. He's not that old. He's just retired and living comfortably. Good for him. Yeah, I mean, his the height of his popularity was what, like the late 70s, early yeah. 80s? I mean, I guess. 
Yeah, totally, right? He had that revival uh, at Malibu with Rune in the Ultraverse I, in the I 90s. Know, he was making a paycheck. I get it, man. I still have those issues. I'll never part with them. I love sure. Barry Windsor I mean, Smith. he would have been in his well, I, late 40s, early I 50s. I fell in love with... Dude still got to work. I fell in love with Barry Windsor Smith on the Weapon X stuff that he did, just because that was the first place yeah, I Marvel saw Comics it. Presents. But I went on to, right. like absolutely adore the conan shit that he did i mean like the dude is amazing truly amazing and i feel like there is an entire generation of comic fans that have never seen his work because of how long that's totally fair yeah i mean the last really honestly the last time i remember barry windsor smith being a a regular focus in the comics industry was probably the 90s and honestly think about it there's so many older creators that we can't say that same thing about that have like Jack Kirby. And I mean, maybe his name's not as big as Jack Kirby, but there's so many other older creators that have been celebrated and reprinted that younger generations have had a chance to go, Oh, okay. I've heard that guy's name. I feel like Barry Winter Smith for some reason is a ghost. He's not even dead, you know, but I kind of agree. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, he like, he doesn't have as many like, marquee reprint graphic novel Mm -hmm. you know opportunities as kirby or even somebody like bernie wrightson okay bernie wrightson Um, is a perfect example because bernie wrightson like his biggest most popular creation was swamp thing which is sure that's cool i love the swamp thing but it's definitely a cult character he's certainly a c-level dc character and maybe that's bernie wrightson's problem was he doesn't have that he doesn't have that one character that he created or did. I mean, outside of the landmark work that he did for Wolverine. Yeah. Weapon X. I'm gotta sure you be, get. you know, but outside of that, I, maybe that's the reason. I don't know. And maybe we're wrong. Somebody tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, Somebody tell I, me, no way. I've heard of Barry Windsor Smith. I'm 19 years old. You're crazy. I hope that guy's famous. Well, I know that dark horse, dark horse did those pretty nice archival Conan reprints, but even, even that was and years you're ago. Selling Conan books to old men. I'm sorry, but you're not, and this was and this was early yeah, Barry Windsor yeah. Smith, like not the Barry Windsor Smith that we know now. No, that's Barry Windsor Smith when he was still doing like a John Bushima impersonation before he really became. Right. I can only liken him to somebody like Bill Sankevich, not in the sense that their art style is that similar, but their art style was just bizarre and definitely their own and instantly it's, recognizable. Um, singular, yes. yes, yes, I agree with that. I think that this is the sort of project that'll introduce him to a new generation. And I hope somebody picks it up and I expect it to be great. Or at least it'll be beautiful. Joe Patrick from the diamond comic desk. The orangutans that ship your comics are introducing a redesigned shipping box set to launch in the fourth quarter of 2019. Uh, we always had a joke that it was like the old Samsonite, Samsonite commercials where the orangutan had the luggage and was just like banging it around. Yes. <laughs> yes. The new boxes will be in use starting with retailer shipments for this week. Retailers may see a mixed shipment of old and new boxes for a few weeks. And as old inventory is depleted, that's good. At least we're not, you know, just pitching it. I'm, yeah, yeah, not yeah. wasting. Yeah, you know, with all shipments by late December using the new stronger box. Now they've got a completely flat interior, no flaps, no tape. They've designed a box to better suit your comics. And Joe Patrick and I remember a day when you would open a diamond box and there were comics piled on top of each other. Maybe you found a highlighter. Maybe there's a hypodermic needle in there. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> 
loose doll arms. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there would be all kinds of weird shit, which just furthered... Unwrapped chocolate which bar wrappers? Our conspiracy theories that there were, in fact, apes that were packing our comics. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I found a razor yeah, blade definitely. one time. Uh, this just in. Uh, the verdict has been rendered by the retailers that received the new boxes this week. The new boxes are <laughs> bullshit. Here's why. There was never a... T- the problem was no, never the boxes. there was boxes. never a time where we, like, they sent us the box and it was completely flat or like there was a tire track or the, No, it was what was inside the goddamn box was the issue. Yes. Like, look, uh, it's fine. I get it. I get it. You, we've designed a box. It's got a completely flat base. Great. That's great. Awesome. No weird flaps. You don't have to put that cardboard shimmy down on the bottom. Awesome. However, if you stack... 30 copies of Doomsday Clock number 12 uh, underneath, 10 copies of Suicide Squad number one, and then one copy of Berserk Volume (laughs) 8. Underneath 100 copies of Batman 85. Guess what's going to happen? You got some crunched up shit. Not to mention the fact that there is like no divider in these boxes. There is no divider. Now, we know how big a comic book is. We've known that for a long time. It's not not a secret. Science discovered that very quickly. All you need to do is have a container with a middle that separates that shit. Comics go in this box and graphic novels and heavier books. Go in a different box. It's that Buffer simple. Zones. Buffer <laughs> zones. Oh, come on. <laughs> this complaint has been going on since long before oh, yeah. we Literally started. Since people in 2001. People caring about condition. This was a problem. And yes. since Diamond is the monopoly yeah. and they're the only people that are shipping you this shit, guess what? They are the problem. <laughs> okay? <laughs> yeah. Like, and look, I don't care how nice you're. You could ship. You could say, hey, guess what? Free shipping for all retailers for all time. The boxes are made right. out of steel. If you pack your <laughs> comics and throw in a bunch of severed Barbie heads in between them, they're going to yeah. get ruined. So It's I'm, idiotic. And I don't understand how well, they don't because they that. definitely spent a bunch of money on this and they're not solving the problem. And that's what's important. Mi- millions. Matt, I, no joke. I read oh, it sure. was you millions of dollars. It. You have to completely replace. They probably had to go through a new like supplier and stuff. They had to change everything. And the box is not the problem. You are the problem, Diamond. <laughs> well, and uh, again, and also, uh, not to not to take not to put it all on Diamond, but if you design a box where the comics, no matter how nice the box is, if the comics are still rubbing up against yeah. the inside of the box. If UPS decides to drop that box on its corner, that's, those not comics are ruined. Let's, we all know that Diamond's dropping them as they're handing them to UPS. <laughs> uh, I just, it's like, it, it's all, all of these years, all of this money, all of this feedback, and they have learned That's our Diamond Comics. Nothing. There you go. It's <laughs> laughable. Hey, it just, it just brings me back to our old favorite reply from Diamond Comics. Diamond regrets the error. <laughs> From the Hoxpox Docs desk, and I guess some other stuff, Marvel has announced two new titles this week, a new Spider-Woman ongoing series, and the latest expansion of the Dawn of X line featuring none other Need your than reaction. Kid Cable. I don't care about Kid Cable. I just don't. I don't. I, I know you don't. We'll get there. We'll get there. 
Uh, Spider-Woman launches in March by writer Carla Pacheco and artist Pere Perez with the character sporting a truly, truly terrible yeah. new costume redesigned is, by Dave Johnson. Dave Johnson is very talented. talented. But maybe he shouldn't yeah. be designing costumes. This costume is yeah. Ugly, like you rem- you remember when all of the all of the like horny dude bros got really upset that they were going to take right. her out of her classic costume and put her in yeah. that motorcycle jacket. That motorcycle jacket kicked ass <laughs> compared um, yeah, to this. And, like, I didn't like the motorcycle jacket either. I thought it was kind of stupid, and and I don't understand superheroes running around with jackets on, but you know, other than for fashion, but it's better than what we, this costume. It's it, definitely better. It, yeah. Than that. Uh, Aside from that, uh, the series puts Spider-Woman in a mysterious new job, taking on a mysterious new foe. Mysterious. So all in all, this new series is pretty mysterious. Who's Carla Pacheco? Uh, She is relatively new to the scene. I know that she's written some things here and there for Marvel, but I could not uh, pick her out of a lineup. Pacheco's daughter. There we go. You. You okay, heard it here well, first. that's pro- that's reductive and probably first. false. I also told but some okay. people at work that Ice T was Ice Cube's <laughs> cousin and Mr. Freeze was their dad. So figure that one out. <laughs> uh, also due in March is Cable Number One. Don't call me kid. By Jerry Duggan with art and covers by Phil Noto. The series will put the young mutant at the forefront of Krakoa's youth revolution alongside other young X Men such as Pixie oh, barf. and that Armor. Sounds dumb. Oh, come on. Uh, Kid Cable debuted as part of 2018's Extermination, in which he returned the time-displaced original X-Men to their home era and killed his older counterpart for failing to effectively preserve the time stream. You know? Way Uh, to go. One thing that I will (laughs) never get tired of hating is... Kid comics starring smart talking badass kids that are bucking the system and telling the grown ups to eat shit. You know, like, uh, I. Uh, oh, I mean, but isn't that like most kids? You most are living comics? on an island paradise that is made for mutants, okay? I still don't understand why you're a kid and why Scott and Gene are so cool as to just having you be their son again. Maybe we dig into that a little bit before we get into the youth revolution, you know? <laughs> that's all I'm saying. I don't know. I mean, Jerry Duggan and Phil Noto. I'm not Noto, trying though. to be that's grumpy old man, but I don't like to look at those teenagers. You know what I mean? Yeah, you just—they're right. all up on your smoking lawn, their, smoking their doobies yeah, and like talking it. trash about their country. Smoking their croco. Smoking I their like Jerry Duggan. I like Phil Noto, and there's a chance this is good. And I hope we can learn a little more about Kid Cable, and it makes me like the character more. As of now, I really don't care about Kid Cable. And you know what else I really don't care about? Pixie. Armor, I'm neither here nor there with. I like her powers. They're really neat. But there hasn't been enough about the character yeah. to make me really care about armor. Fair enough. I guess yep. they will have yeah, to so win us over. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while calling the cops after the Yancey Street Gang sent us a mysterious envelope full of white powder that would turn out to be sneezing powder. So hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section, or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover live every Saturday where we broadcast on our Facebook page. This week, it will be from 4 to 5 o'clock Central Standard Time. And you're saying, Matt, why are we switching it up? I'll tell you why. Because it is a very special time of year. 
It is the official THM Hanukkah drunk show. This is our holiday party, and you are invited. If you can't be there live, that's fine. You can leave us a message at 402-819-4894. But if you can be there live, call in 402-819-4894. We're having a holiday party. You're invited. We'll bring the Manischewitz. You bring the opinions. And Joe Patrick, what was that question of the week that we're talking about this week? Uh, this week, we're talking about uh, creators that were new to okay. you in there 2019. They don't have to be new, just new to you. We want to hear from you this Saturday, 4 to 5 Central Standard Time. You don't have to come drunk, but it will help. And of course, you can watch us live on our Facebook page. And you can it definitely won't if hurt. You would like. We would love to have you there. If you can't be there live, you can also shoot us an MP3 to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com. Oh, and in this case, we can't stress enough, if you can't be there live... Please send your MP3 yeah, or voice Joe Patrick in really butt so that Joe we have really stuff to talk about. We didn't get any Christmas cards in the ziggurat this year. We've got nothing to put on the mantle. It's well, I mean, we didn't, we didn't, we don't give out our address. So, I hadn't thought of that. You know. That's true. Okay. All right. It's, All right. It's there tough. We go. It's tough. It's spotlight review time in the ziggurat where this week Matt's having mixed feelings about Tom King's farewell bat issue, and I'm contemplating suicide. Squad's return. Matt, you're up first. Did you break up with Tom or did he dump you first? Let me just say it's complicated. I'm reviewing Batman number 85 from DC. It's written by Tom King with art by Mikhail Janin. It is 32 pages for $3.99. Pardon me. 32 pages for $4.99. Which it must have been more than that. No. They, yeah. It's 30, there's Su- Suicide Squad said the same thing, but I counted it and it was way more than 20 story pages okay there were 32 pages of story for the uh, tom king one and then there was like a four there was like a four page backup then it was probably like 40 pages then yeah something like that here's your solicit the stunning conclusion to city of bane is here i guess how will flashpoint batman be vanquished from our dimension Uh, what will become of gotham girl now that she's betrayed all she knows how will the Bat Team cope without Alfred? Uh, will Catwoman stick around? Uh, who will rebuild Gotham City? It's doing okay. Is Batman ever going to be Batman again? Spoiler, yes. The event of the summer now closes out the year. That should be what? Like right there. The event of the summer now closes out the year. <laughs> that is the complete feeling that I have about Tom King's run on. If there was ever one sentence that you could use to sum (laughs) up Tom King's run on Batman. That's that's just, I don't know that I even need to review the book now. That just solved all my feelings. You don't dare miss this extra size concluding chapter to Tom King's epic run on Batman. And it all leads to the new Batman and Catwoman series. Which has yet to be solicited. It's been pushed back indefinitely. Yep. We talked about it at length with Brian Domingos on last week's show, but it bears repeating. Tom King's run on Batman has probably been too long. And ultimately, more times than not, it left me wondering what I just read. Not because the story was dense or confusing, but because nothing ever came of the events. (laughs) You had the wedding that didn't happen with Catwoman, but their relationship continued. It was even a little better. You had the City of Bane storyline that ended with Bane getting shot, and then the camera jerks violently to Bruce's dad from the Flashpoint DCU, who is the real villain, trying to teach Bruce a lesson, I guess. 
Well, here we are at the end of King's Run, and I think Thomas taught Bruce something. Maybe. No. We <laughs> definitely see Bruce win here, but I'm not sure what it was all for. What did Bruce learn? What did I learn about Batman? What the hell just happened? If nothing else, there is a nice send-off for one of the characters King introduced very early on in the run, but even that send-off felt very brief and honestly a little dangerous. Even while scratching my head, I have to admit there are some fantastic character moments for everyone in this book. An amazing art by Mikhail Janin, who is vaulted into absolute superstar status with this run. But ultimately, I have to ask, why did this happen to way too many of King's plot points? Why did Alfred have to die? He did cancel. Why cancel the marriage just to keep the relationship going until they decide to get married again? Didn't why? need to happen. <laughs> why, al- why did alternate Thomas go through all this? And why did the whole of Batman's rogue gallery agree to play along if the plan was to teach Bruce some existential personal lesson that I don't even fully understand? Now, to that point, I think they were going along with Bane, not Thomas. But Bane was following Thomas. Well, I don't think Bane thought so. I think Bane thought Bane Psycho was Pirate was certainly in on it. That's the thing that I will address. <laughs> yeah. This issue was gorgeous, and I guess it tied up King's Run well. I'm just not sure what it tied up Except and it why didn't. any his, of this had to happen. His run is not over. His run is not over. The, the back 10 issues of his run got taken from him, and so this issue ends... I I guess, I guess City of Bane ends, right? Right. But we still have this lingering question in the air, like, well, what's going to happen with Bat and Cat? What does Tom King have planned for Bat and Cat? We may never find out because this book, the spinoff was supposed to launch in January. It has been removed from the schedule. Okay, time out. My rating is skim it, okay? Okay, Now you can rant. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So, Psycho Pirate. Let's let's just back up Psycho Pirate. Yeah, there's Psycho there's Pirate. so many things about this where I'm still just like, why? <laughs> why Psycho Pirate is a phenomenally powerful villain that you could use to explain a lot of things that happened. Character also, behavior. Also, a phenomenally stupid villain with a terrible name. Well, whatever. But like... <laughs> Like, you could use Psycho Pirate to explain away character motivations. Sure. Uh, missing memories. Absolutely. Event, events that happened but didn't really, like the death yeah. of Alfred. Woo, question mark. Sure, sure. Uh, but no, none of that happened. It all just happened. It was all just totally straightforward as it ha- as it was written on the tin. The lesson Batman learned, he learned it from freaking Catwoman, not from yeah. Thomas. Absolutely. He- like the, the main, had, it seemed like the lesson he learned was like, you're not my dad. And yeah. oh, n- no shit. <laughs> right. So uh, we've known that the whole my, time. My biggest question through the entirety of City of Bane with Thomas running around uh, in the manor with his mask off is does Batman's entire rogues gallery now know that Bruce Wayne is Batman? We don't have any mention of that at all i guess the, i hadn't even thought of that i didn't even realize least, that was there. at the very least the ventriloquist would know because he was literally right there the whole time right him psycho pirate bane i mean like they're there they've like heard we it. know we know that bane knows oh yeah bane does know that's true the event of the decade 
has finished out the century. That's another way to phrase that sentence. And that's what it felt like because yeah. it was nearly 100 issues of treading water. Pretty much. Yeah. And like as much as I want to give it credit, and I am going to give it a skim it too, because at, on some level I did get some enjoyment from it. Th that's what frustrates but me. That's it what was. I, that is what frustrates me is the fact that I can't look at this and go, Oh, up yours, Tom King, and screw you for wasting my time. There are parts of this I really liked. And right. there are things parts. that happened that were really good, but the greater overarching story literally went nowhere and did nothing for the character. Other it, I mean than maybe get him married, which or, I or, don't, or not. Yeah, or not. I don't know. And I barely care. <laughs> yeah. I, like I, you know how you you know how you say like, oh yeah, this book had great writing and great art and a great story. Yeah. And when all was said and done, it was greater than the sum of its parts. Totally. Mark it a big Tom King's run on Batman was lesser. I than agree. The sum of its parts. I agree. The sum of its and parts were pretty good. A, <laughs> this is story. not a judgment of Tom King's entire run, but I will agree that I it was frustrating is the key word to describe it. Yes. Uh, this issue though, it did I suppose what it set out to do. Right. The art was beautiful. It had some fun moments, but again, Tom King being Tom King, the whole thing bounced around in time. It, like it was flashbacks and flash forwards, and it's just like it just felt toothless. Yeah, it felt herky jerky and toothless. And but then again, then you got that scene in the bar where Bruce is sitting there. Yeah, where he went back to Porky Pig's bar and talked to yeah. Charlie Brown. Yeah, and he's talking to Charlie Brown, and they're watching football. And I was and just I'm like, pretty sure that Charlie Brown is Kite Man. <laughs> he is Kite Man. Yes, he's Kite Man. And then they're watching football, and they're bitching about it. And I'm like, God damn, I. Love this scene. This yeah, is so and it's good. All some sort of it's and, so like, good. And, and if you're like, yeah, you're like, man, Tom King is really trying to make some sort of smart metaphor here. Right. I'm so fucking mad. Yeah. I know. And that's the thing. Like, everything I got else. to that last page, and and then Catwoman comes up and meets him and sits down at the bar with him, and I was like, oh man, I love it. And then I stopped, and I was like, what the fuck? Do I love that? <laughs> I was like, what happened? What are you doing to me, Tom King? You're playing with my feelings. Uh, you know? <laughs> yeah. It, this, this, it's just, it's a skim it all around. Yeah. And, like, and I'll even, I'll even grant you, I bet you this reads a whole lot better in graphic novel form. But what, do I have to read a hundred issues? Again, yeah, that's 10, what, 10 that's plus the other volumes? Thing. I don't even There's know. There's one thing, like, where people have been, we've we've yelled at people for writing for the trade. Oh, he's writing for the trade. He's They're writing for the trade. But that's, what, six issues? Or maybe two sure. trades? 12 issues? Did City Tom of Bain was King, what, 10 issues? Was City of Bane 10 issues? Yes. Did Tom King write 100 issues for the omnibus? Is he writing for the omnibus? Because that's oh, next no. level. <laughs> right? oh, title of the episode that is next writing for the level shit <laughs> joe patrick yeah, I, can we switch gears please yes please yes uh this week i am contemplating suicide squad number one <laughs> suicide is not funny guys uh this is also from dc comics written by tom taylor not tom king with art by bruno redondo it's uh some pages for $4.99. Like I said earlier, uh, I counted it. It was like 29 or 30 story pages, so it was beefy. Here's your solicit. Task Force X, nicknamed the Suicide Squad, unites some of the DCU's unlikeliest villains for its bloodiest series yet. 
The squad's new mission is to neutralize a new group of international super terrorists known as the Revolutionaries. And not everyone on either side will make it out back alive. Nope, that is not correctly worded. <laughs> make it out back alive! <laughs> make it back out alive. Just say make it out but, alive. Or make it out. I know. I, or make yeah. it back. <laughs> Don't say hey all guys, of them. Why, why, why use 10 words when 8 will do? Uh, but when the U.S. government's most deniable team of do-batters realizes that the surviving revolutionaries will be joining the squad, all hell breaks loose. Who can Harley Quinn and Deadshot trust when their new teammates are the very people their crew was assigned to kill? Their suicide squad doesn't just need to worry about surviving their next mission. Now they have to survive each other. I'm not going to read that last one. Nah. Tom Taylor has made something of a name for himself, taking projects that have, uh, to put it mildly, lost a bit of their luster and putting a whole new shine on them. I agree. He took a ridiculous fighting game and turned it into a critically acclaimed comic franchise. He turned the emo teen girl clone of Wolverine into one of Marvel's most compelling characters. It was so good. It was so good. His, his X-Men Red was a bright spot during a dismal time for the X-Books. Even Deceased, which could easily be written off as a Marvel Zombies clone, has been a pretty excellent read. Well, it's more like a Marvel Zombies clone in a bad mood. <laughs> you know? Sure, yeah. <laughs> Uh, with all of that said, it shouldn't come as any surprise that the writer would be able to take a polarizing title like DC's Modern Day Suicide Squad and deliver something really special with it. The issue begins with a violent introduction to the revolutionaries, an authority-esque team that works for the greater good, even if it is at odds with the rule of law in the nations of the world. Naturally, this doesn't sit well with the powers that be, and the Suicide Squad is sent in to deal with the situation, unfortunately. This is the worst iteration of Task Force X ever assembled, <laughs> and they know it. But that doesn't deter the mysterious new stranger suddenly calling the shots. I was amazed at how quickly Taylor was able to make me care about these characters, especially the revolutionaries. They have distinct personalities and relationships, even after just a few pages, which made it really affecting when the shit inevitably hit the fan and they started dropping like flies. Even characters you might hate to love, like Harley Quinn and Zebra Man, are really likable here. I really liked Zebra Man a lot. <laughs> Me too, dude. It was great. <laughs> uh, events play out pretty much as the solicit states, but there's plenty of mystery still to be had. No spoilers, but I'm dying to know what's going on with Amanda Waller, who seems more like herself than any version of the character since before the New 52 debuted eight years ago. Yeah, I almost wonder if Tom Taylor was like, mm, I'm going to do it like this because I really like this one. And they were like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Jeff Johns is fucking up everything Doomsday Clock. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, though some of the character designs still leave something to be desired, especially... Okay, mostly just dead shot. Uh, Bruno Redondo's artwork really shines in this issue. He's capable of walking the line between lighthearted and even touching character moments and brutal action. He's also got a strong sense of comedic timing when it's called for. Uh, see every scene involving the Cavalier. It was great. <laughs> it was totally uh, great. Adriano Lucas compliments Redondo's art with some vibrant colors that really stand apart from the overly saturated, overly gritty work from previous volumes, which, to be fair, Lucas also contributed to on occasion. Now, I have not felt compelled to read or follow The Suicide Squad in nearly a decade, but 
Tom Taylor, Bruno Redondo, and company only needed one issue to really turn my attitude around. With a strong focus on political intrigue and real-world issues, this new Suicide Squad is off to a strong start. I'm giving it a buy it. I don't know if I got too old for the Suicide Squad or the Suicide Squad got too young for me. You know what I mean? Like, for a long time, it just has not been the kind of comic book I want to read compared to what I remember. Look how this character kills these guys. Totally, yeah. Where it's you just know, like, and that's not what the Suicide Squad was about. No, the idea of the Suicide Squad is like, look, we have a terrible job that needs to be done, and we're going to force terrible people to do it, and if they get killed, not a big deal. We hate them. That's what was so great about it, and I feel like Taylor is getting back to what made the Suicide Squad great. To the idea. But also, like, the to, raw to that idea. point that you were, to that point you were making, yeah, we hated him, so it wasn't a big deal, but John Ostrander made us love these characters that we were supposed to hate. Oh, no, I agree. No, I totally agree. When I say we hated Whereas, him, I meant the people that were, Amanda Waller, who was yeah, setting him on the job. I'm sure, right. <laughs> meta Where, here. Whereas, like, most recent volumes, especially since the New 52, I didn't give a shit if any of those characters got their heads blown off. No. They wouldn't have, and they didn't. They stuck around the whole time and just acted like snarky jerks. And that's not what it's about, you know? And Taylor has demonstrated he knows how this book should be executed, what's great about this book, and he's doing a wonderful job making us care about characters that we never gave a shit about, and I we will even extend that to Harley Quinn. I liked her here. <laughs> this yeah. was good. I'm very happy to see Tom Taylor DC. This is a great is- first issue of Suicide Squad. I'm also giving it a buy it, and I can't wait to read more of his DC work. I hope that this is a springboard to something larger for him. Definitely. At DC. Definitely. So that is a double skim it for... Batman 85 and a double buy it for Suicide Squad number one. We'll post our written reviews over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But we need to know what you nerds thought of these comics too, so call us this weekend on THN Cover to Cover at its special time, 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. Don't you forget, kids. The drunker, the better. Before we get into this week's ludicrous speed round... I'd like to turn it over to the official THN bartender, Justin Robert Fletcher, the head bartender at O'Carant up in Benson, Omaha, Nebraska, our official cocktail sponsor, to explain to you the cocktail of the week. It is a take on the Manhattan. And in honor of the end of Watchmen and the end of Doomsday Clock, we're calling it Doc's Hog. <laughs> he doesn't dip his dick in it, does he? No, no, he doesn't. Okay, good. Which, uh, it's a hazard. Yeah. <laughs> sad, but I kind of like it. Well, because no matter whether he's black or white, he always has a huge. Okay, so we, this is a Manhattan. Matt, do you know why a Manhattan? Do you know the special thing about a Manhattan that makes it a Manhattan in reference to its measurements? No. Okay, no. so the, the story is is that the uh, area code is two one two, and that's exactly how you oh, make a Manhattan. No so two ounces no of rye, one ounce of vermouth, two bit dashes of bitters. So. And then a black Manhattan is whenever you get rid of the vermouth and you use Amaro instead. And then a perfect Manhattan is whenever you use both dry and sweet vermouth to make it. Gotcha. So what we're making here is an imperfect black Manhattan. Okay. In homage 
to the one who gave it all. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Um, and then uh, the one thing we're doing that's not Manhattan-like about this drink is we're adding egg white to it. Gotcha. Because of this episode. So it you is... Break yeah, a few eggs. you got to break a few eggs to make a Manhattan. Okay. <laughs> so uh, this one, instead of rye, we're using bourbon because we need a little bit of sugar because Amaro is very bitter. So I'm using two ounces of uh, Old Forester bourbon. We're using black walnut bitters because his big nuts are always dangling about. <laughs> okay. So instead of Angostura bitters, black walnut bitters, we're using Averna Amaro, Sabia Amaro, and then instead of uh, sweet vermouth, we're using Carpano Antica, uh, and that is the whole gist of it. Uh, for an egg white drink, you're going to put all the contents plus one egg white into a shaker, shake it dry for like 60 seconds to two minutes, add like two cubes of ice, shake it vigorously again for 60 seconds to two minutes, take the ice out if there's any left, Put it back in the shaker again, shake it a third time with nothing in there. The reason you're doing this is to make it really, really frothy. Egg white is about the mouthfeel. Um, pour it into a coop up. Uh, orange, take a peel, peeling facing the glass, same as last time. Express, Dunzos. Easy. Perfect. Garnish with a giant. And now, with Doc's Hog in hand, it's time to review eight more of this Wednesday. December 18th, new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. It's a two-hander, I'll tell you what, it's huge. <laughs> Ludicrous Speed, go! Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, number one from DC Black Label. The Murder Falcon team of writer-artist Daniel Warren Johnson, colorist Mike, not Sean Spicer, and letterer Russ Wooten reunite for this post-apocalyptic take on DC's mightiest Amazon, after years spent in suspended animation, Diana is woken up in a very familiar place, the shadow of her former self. But that doesn't stop her from stepping up to protect those that need it most from the people that would exploit them. Tremendous work by this team with absolutely breathtaking illustration and design work by Johnson. Wonder Woman Dead Earth is another winner for Black Label. I'm giving it a huge buy -in. It was so cool. It was so it cool. Was <laughs> awesome. The Old Guard, Force Multiplied, number one from Image. Greg Rucka's tale of immortal soldiers returns for a new story arc, and artist Leandro Fernandez is back, too, with some of his most impressive art that I have seen to date. This new arc starts in the far past with a Viking battle that is equal parts violent, detailed, and amazing. It leads into a car chase just as action-packed and incredibly rendered and leaves off with a compelling mystery. I described this comic to a friend as Highlander meets Call of Duty Modern Warfare. But oh, the, fuck, yeah. But this new story arc <laughs> looks to be adding some mystery to the mix, too, and I am excited to see what comes next. Pick up the first trade if you haven't read it yet, or, I just learned this, if you have Amazon Prime, you can read the first trade paperback online there. And there's a movie coming, kids, so get on it now. Guardians of the Galaxy, number 12, from Marvel! Donny Cates' run with the Guardians comes to a close, tying up threads from years' worth of his work on Marvel Cosmic titles like Thanos, Silver Surfer Black, Death of the Inhumans, and Cosmic Ghost Rider. Cates does a great job resetting the team for the next group of creators while delivering some pretty great character moments, particularly for Rocket, Groot, and Star-Lord. Tremendous art from the teams involved in Cates' saga fill the pages, including Corey Smith, Jeff Shaw, Ariel Olivetti, Trad Moore, and Dylan Burnett. Guardians of the Galaxy number 12 was a very satisfying conclusion to this iteration of the team that left me eager to read the next. I'm giving it a buy it. This is going to show up again in my best of the year because this series was so overlooked and so wonderful. It was so great. 
And I quite enjoyed it. Just give it to Donny Cates and let him do whatever the fuck he wants, please. <laughs> Revenge of the Cosmic Ghost Rider, number one from Marvel. Speaking of Donny Cates, if you had much fun with Rider Donny Cates' first Cosmic Ghost Rider series, then this should be top of the pile reading. Here, Cates is joined by writer Dennis Hopeless as they bring the spirit of space vengeance back, but this time in the vein of Jason from a Friday the 13th sequel. Jeff Shaw is on art, and he understands the game very well, packing each panel with cosmic violence and flaming vengeance. I love this character. And we see the return of a beloved Avengers Arena character that I had almost forgotten. Oh, yeah, man. I, I was so happy to see that. I was, too. I'm giving this a buy it. It is so much fun. Quite honestly, if this was either the Ghost Rider or the only Punisher title that was coming out right now, I would be fine with that. <laughs> Same. Wellington, number one from IDW. Wellington, number one, trods that familiar ground of... What if that historical figure you read about in high school was actually a secret adventurer? Oh, damn. This time, Aaron Monkey, creator of the popular podcast Lore, along with co-writer Delilah Dawson and artist Piotr Kowalski, focuses on Arthur Wellesley, the first Duke of Wellington, a.k.a. the Iron Duke. They should have called it the Iron Duke. Yeah, why not? That's so tough. I know. In his twilight years, Wellesley secures the services of a journalist to chronicle the true story of his illustrious career. The book has some charm, thanks to some really strong work from Kowalski, but honestly, I found it a little dull, and the dialogue had some issues. I usually enjoy this comic trope, so I'll be back for the next issue at least, but I'm giving Wellington number one a skim. I love Mankey's uh, podcast lore. It's fantastic. He did a free audiobook reading of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. It was terrible. It was so bad. It was so bad. Narcos, number one from IDW. I'm a huge fan of the Netflix Narcos show, but when I heard IDW was making a comic book adaptation, I was skeptical. It's not that the story isn't interesting, but there's a lot of dialogue set up and slow developing plot on the show, none of which translates well to the comic medium. And, no, well, it didn't hear either. The story is fine, but the slow burn of the show with sudden extreme violence just did not translate to comics, and the art by Vic Malhorta, who has a washed-out style not unlike Jeff Lemire, didn't work either. Watch the show. Skip the comic. Not because the creators didn't understand the source material, but some things just don't work in the funny pages. I'm giving this a leave-it. Skulldigger and Skeleton Boy, number one from Dark Horse. Writer Jeff Lemire and artist Tanchi Zanjic expand the universe of Black Hammer yet again with this mashup of The Punisher and Batman and Robin. Zanjic's brilliant line art dances along the boundary between detail and minimalism, but what really makes the issue stand out is his striking color work, which makes certain moments pop with its brilliant bursts of color or complete lack of it. Lemire excels at creating homage characters that transcend their inspirations. That talent is on full display here. Skulldigger and Skeleton Boy number one gets a huge buy-in. Star Wars, The Rise of Kylo Ren, number one from Marvel. Finally, the story of what happened after Luke almost attacked Kylo Ren and he freaked out can be told. And Charles Soule does a hell of a job doing it. We find out how Kylo got his last name. We get a peek at Snoke and the Knights of Ren are scary as hell. Will Sliney is an amazing artist and he does a wonderful job with his paneling, illustrating the force, and of course, cool lightsaber battles. There were a couple of panels where Ben Solo's face looked a little strange. But 
after looking at pictures of Adam Driver's naturally strange-looking face, I don't know that I can fault the artist, honestly. This was solid Star Wars storytelling, and it feels like a part of the latest mythos that's genuinely important. I am definitely interested, and I'm giving it a buy it. Cack rack up the wow room! That is your ludicrous speed round in. Cack rack up the wow room! It's the sound of Thor destroying a cache of soul blades as seen in the pages of Ragnarok, the breaking of Helheim. Number three, this onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Shonix via the Twitters. If you want to suggest an onomatopoeia of the week, you can submit it to any of our social media accounts or you can send it to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. You can also normally watch these ludicrous speed rounds on YouTube. We haven't been together for the past couple weeks, but I will be putting them up there. So watch for them, and they come out early to help you with your new comic book day buying decision. And hey, do you want to help stock the Ziggurat Bar? Click our Donate Now button and buy us a bottle of booze, why don't you? Or you can even buy us a drink. Five bucks, man. We'll get a cocktail. We'll even mention you in the Cocktail of the Week segment. It's time to visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where Matt and I retreat to meditate on our must-read picks for next week and feed our collection of cryptids. Matt, I'll take care of Bubastis and the Sasquatch twins. Why don't you get us started? My pick for next week is Doctor Strange, number one. And let me tell you, things are a little slim next week. But I am excited for this one. It's from Marvel Comics. It's written by Mark Wade with art by Kev Walker. Well, I feel like we haven't seen for a little bit. Uh, I think he's just done single issues here and there. Yeah, and he's done some cover work, but he hasn't been around as much. I love that guy. Here's your solicit. The impossible has happened. Doctor Strange's hands have been healed, restoring his surgical skills, but now he's being torn between his obligations as the Sorcerer Supreme and as a neurosurgeon. I think I know which one I would pick. And when he's forced to choose which vows to uphold, who suffers most for it? After all, magic always has a cost. Be here for a brand new era of magic and horror from, yeah, 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 I just mentioned them. The horror part is what's got me interested. I love Mark Wade. I love Kev Walker. I love Doctor Strange. I want to enjoy a monthly Doctor Strange book again, and I'm hoping this is it. Yeah. Now, the last Doctor Strange book was very good. I just it was, didn't keep track of it. It was very fine. I will say Doctor it was Strange very in space fine. is not really what I'm looking for. Well, that ended, and he came back home, and it was still yeah. just fine. <laughs> um, but what I love about this is that this is actually subtotal, uh, subtitled Doctor Strange Surgeon Supreme, yeah, which I think is cool. Um, and I find that I am constantly mixing up Kev Walker with Brad Walker. Oh, uh, Brad Walker, Brad Walker had a run on uh, Doug May or on uh, Pete Tomasi's m- recent detective comics. Kev Walker, the last ongoing thing I remember from Kev Walker was that run of Thunderbolts where Luke Cage was in charge and Man Thing was there. You remember that? I think you're probably right. I mean, he worked on... He, I'm sure he's done... I know that he's done more. I, he I think worked on he Avengers Arena like, as well. We Avengers have, Arena or one of, the, one of the sequel titles. Yeah. But yeah, I really love Kev Walker. He's great. Joe Patrick, what is your pick for next week? What is your Christmas pick? pick? It's going to be under I the know. tree. I know. My pick for next week is... Incoming! It's a one-shot from Marvel Comics written and drawn by Al Ewing, Aaron Cooter, and Various. It's 96 pages for $9.99. Here's your solicit. 
A mysterious murder brings together the heroes of the Marvel Universe in the search for a killer, but no one can imagine where the trail will lead or how it will affect everything, everything Whoa. in 2020 and beyond. Who is the victim and who is the assailant? This is the closing chapter of Marvel's 80th year, which will connect the dots of everything that happened in 2019 and propel the narrative into the year that is to come. Really? Featuring the Avengers. <laughs> yeah, right. The Fantastic Four, the X-Men, the Guardians of the Galaxy, Daredevil, Spider-Man, the Champions, Agents of Atlas, Valkyrie, the Immortal Hulk, Jessica Jones, Venom, Ghost Rider, the Masked Raider. You know him. Now we're doing that and again. more. So this is uh, where the dragon eats the kid? Is this, is this what happens? And it leads into yeah. Outlaws? <laughs> that might be part of it, yeah. Am I excited about incoming? Uh, I am a sucker for these big, like, hype books where they, like, tease yeah. eight things that are happening. Totally. Uh, is this, do I really think that this is putting a button, uh, putting a pin in every single thing that happened in Marvel in 2019? No, I do not. Do we love Aaron? Do we love Al Ewing? Absolutely. Yes. I love Al Ewing. I love Aaron Cooter. I'm going to read it. I'm going to enjoy it. Next week is Christmas. There are like 10 books coming out. This is going to be a good one. Yeah. I'm excited. The THN trade of the week goes to The Green Lantern, Volume 2, The Day the Stars Fell. Hardcover from DC Comics, written by Grant Morrison with art by Liam Sharp. It's 144 pages. It is $29.99. Here's your solicit. The legendary Grant Morrison continues his groundbreaking take on the universe's greatest space cop. Hal Jordan has always believed in upholding the law, but after recent events, he may be forced to break his own code in order to protect the universe itself. Familiar faces return as Hal reunites with both Green Arrow and Star Sapphire, plus prepare to meet Green Lanterns from 12 parallel worlds. This collects the Green Lantern 7 through 12 and annual number one. Spoiler alert, this will also be on my best of next week when we do the Beppos. Uh, two weeks, but yeah. Oh, I thought it was next week. Uh, no, next week is Christmas. Uh, we, Remember, we're taking the week off. Oh, that's right. Okay, well, I got to rewrite the end of this then. <laughs> yeah, well, it's all right. Just do it on the fly. Uh, it, it also leads into uh, the Black Stars yes. uh, thing, right? And the, I would assume. The Black Star shit that is going on is amazing. It feels completely removed from like anything Green Lantern you've ever read, which is fine because it's in space, doesn't matter, and they're letting Grant Morrison lose his goddamn mind. It's so much fun. I don't remember the last time I had this much fun reading a Green Lantern comic. These are just a few of the new comics hitting the shelves at your local comic shop next week, but we want to hear about your must-read picks and, spoiler, how upset you were that they killed the Volcano Head I Green Lantern. I was so pissed. I love that guy. <laughs> Head to the THN forums and let us know what you're reading, but also let us know what you'd like to hear us review on the show. And don't forget to pre-order all your picks every week. More than two years ago, DC launched a series that would tie Alan Moore's Watchmen directly to the DCU. And there was much grumbling. Flash forward more than two years and the final issue, number 12, is here just in time to leave us all scratching our heads and asking what it all means. What's that? You got sick of waiting for the book to come out and gave up because it probably doesn't count 
anyway. Fear not! It's time for the TLDR Doomsday Clock segment, where we take it all apart, crush the story into one easily digestible morsel, and force it down your throat! Joe Patrick. Joe Patrick, these kids don't have time to wait three years to read 12 issues. What the hell happened in Doomsday Clock? Let's sum it up for them. Well... Uh, some, I don't know if sum it up is the right word. So you may remember, right where, where did this all start? It all started in the DC Universe Rebirth one-shot. Yes. Uh, which kind of was tasked with bringing hope and joy and light and fun back into the DC Universe, um, reestablishing characters, namely Wally West, that were forgotten or erased for the X amount of years that the New 52 went on. That didn't work out too great for Wally, and he was quickly relegated to being a murderer and a cosmic, I don't know what he is now. I don't even know. Flash forward, don't read it. It sucks. <laughs> but uh, the, the Rebirth one-shot ends with Batman finding the comedian's blood-spattered button lodged in the wall of the Batcave. And from there... We go to Doomsday Clock number one, which starts in 1992 in the Watchmen world. And Vite has vanished. The public knows about what he did. Nobody trusts him. Special forces have invaded his compound in the Arctic. And we see an x-ray where it looks like, oh man, dude had cancer, right? We flash to a prison scene. We meet a new Rorschach. Well, a Rorschach, because we know the old one died. We also meet the marionette and the mime, who will turn out to be very important. Uh, well, let's real quick take. Uh, let's real quick talk about the world that this, uh, the state of the world. Everything's in chaos. Right. Uh, the vice president kills the attorney general. Uh, there's a standoff at the White House. Right. Uh, the the European Union collapses. Russia, Russia invades Europe. It's it's mass hysteria. Adrian Veidt is missing. People are looking for him. And that's when we meet this new Rorschach and these new characters, the mime and the marionette. And Vite has uh, used Rorschach to round them up because they are very important. He, like, we're skipping through all manner of huge stuff, but this story is way too big to encompass it all here. But basically, he believes that because we, we, there was a bank robbery back in the day where we saw Dr. Manhattan show up and he looks right at the mime and the marionette. And the marionette is the female of the two. And he knows that she's pregnant and he doesn't just murder her like he normally would. He just explodes. People doesn't even think about it. That's the way he ended the Vietnam War. But for some reason, he pauses. So Ozymandias has rounded up these two idiots to come with him, get in Archie, the Night Owl's old vehicle. And where are they going, Joe? They're going to the DCU, baby. That's right. Just in time for the nukes to go off on their planet. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so the issue ends with Superman uh, having a nightmare about the night his parents died, the night of his prom, uh, where his parents are killed in a car crash. Is that any part uh, of DC continuity that I don't know about? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, so in the DC New 52, uh, Superman's parents were killed oh, when he that's was that's right. That's right. Okay. Uh, which is something that they kind of stuck with, even though they did the whole Superman Reborn thing. Right. Um, so, yeah, at, at this point, Ma and Pa Kent, they dead. Right. Uh, and Lois says something to the effect of, I don't think I've ever seen you have a nightmare like that. And Clark 
says, I don't think I've ever had a nightmare ever. And that's the end. Which is where we start to realize, like, something's not right here. (laughs) Something's not right, yeah. From there, we see Rorschach and Ozzy in the regular DCU, and they go looking for the two smartest people in in the DC universe proper, which are Bruce Wayne and Lex Luthor. Now, I have some problems with this. Yeah. Bruce Wayne's a smart guy. Very, very smart guy. Fantastic yeah, detective. Yeah. You can't tell me someone like T.O. Morrow isn't more intelligent. Yeah, I mean, this, <laughs> is, where, this is where I think there's a difference between um, maybe book smart and intelligent. Right. Because we've, we've had stories in the past where it's like, Mr. Terrific is the seventh smartest man in the DC universe. Right. That dude has invented a network of free-floating artificial intelligent weaponized spheres that obey his whim guess what batman does not invent (laughs) robots yeah exactly (laughs) regardless of that they go to find them when we do we quickly realize that not only are they the only people that have come from the watchman world to the regular dcu the comedian is here too it's true. Now, we're a little bit ahead of ourselves. There's a scene where Batman or Bruce Wayne is talking to Lucius Fox, and the situation in the DC universe is not all that much better than the Watchmen universe. No. Like, we're not getting, we're not about to have the nukes drop or anything, but people are in the streets actively protesting the existence of masked vigilantes, specifically Batman. Right, and there's a Superman uh, theory that... The American government created these metahumans in America, and that's why there's more American metahumans than anywhere else. Like 95% of the metahumans of the world are American, and it's because of a government conspiracy where the U.S. uh, powers that be are creating them from whole cloth. So Rorschach not only very easily finds Batman, but marches right into Wayne Manor and marches right down into the cave. <laughs> I actually, oh, oh, he was going to find Bruce Wayne, right? Yeah. Um, so he, so he's, he's in Wayne Manor and he sees that Alfred has left Master Bruce a, a short stack of pancakes right. covered in foil. And so, of course, he takes the foil off and eats those fucking pancakes. Absolutely. And they're delicious. He loves it. And and while he's eating the pancakes, he notices a gust of wind blowing the foil along the floor. And from there, he realizes that there is wind coming from behind that grandfather. <laughs> clock, yep. Which is something nobody that it's ever visited Wayne Manor has ever noticed before. Apparently, Rorschach is very good at this. So he goes, yeah. rips it off the wall, walks downstairs, meets Batman. And Batman's like, how did you get here? Not like, oh, shit, I got to kick this guy's ass or anything. But he's just like, how did you get here? Rorschach's like, I'm from another world. Here's my journal. Check it out. Batman's fine with this. <laughs> like, yeah, like you're, condens- you're condensing a lot of stuff. I know I am, but, but not, that's basically what happened. Like, he, he, got, he gets into the Batcave and is immediately discovered by all of the uh, countermeasures right. Batman has set up. He, he triggers a silent alarm. Batman is at Arkham or wherever. And he's like, oh, shit, something's going down at the cave. He confronts Rorschach at the cave, which leads us to issue three and a flashback of Ozymandias killing the comedian as seen in the pages of Watchmen. But as we realized last issue, the comedian survives, saved at the last minute, probably by Dr. Manhattan. And he he wakes up in, like, Metropolis Harbor because you see the LexCorp building. 
And so from his from his plummeting uh, plummeting to his death from the window of Adrian Veidt's skyscraper, he teleports to the DC universe. All is well. He's a okay. Yeah, not sure why he's there, but he's okay. Issue number four, we get a lot of Rorschach background. We see that Rorschach's dad was working with the original Rorschach, writing Rorschach's story. Uh, real quick, though, at this point, at this point, we should point out uh, that Batman pretended to listen to Rorschach and then immediately took him to Arkham and locked him in a cell. Well, that happens in the next issue. That happened in the last issue. Oh, it did? That happens oh, that's at the right. end of issue Sorry. three. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> issue four, Batman has locked Rorschach, Rorschach up in Arkham. So we get a flashback of his origin and him meeting uh, Mothman, one of the OG superheroes of the Watchmen universe. Um, through this interaction and, and years of training and whatnot, he becomes the new Rorschach, escapes the mental institution, and at this point we're wondering why this is not a black label book. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> because That would solve uh, a lot of problems. <laughs> it, it's ultra-violent. The continuity is wonky. Uh, there are the occasional dicks. And some swears, right? No, a bunch of swears. There's some F-bombs, too. Absolutely. We move to issue five. Uh, Lois is investigating the Superman theory. Saturn Girl is hanging out with Rorschach because she just so happened to be in Arkham Asylum as well. We don't really... Now, I don't think we know that she's Saturn Girl right away. We don't, but it's her. (laughs) No question. We also see Johnny uh, Thunder. Johnny, Johnny Thunder is in an old folks home. Who is an not the mental old ward. man, and he's escaped his old folks home at this point because he believes he has to go find his genie. And this is the oh. first nod we kind of get to the JSA, basically, in this story. Yes. Bat, yeah. From there, Batman shows up in the, uh, in the Archie mobile and meets Ozymandias. Black Adam is on TV, and he's inviting all metahumans to come to Kandak, where they will be safe. Johnny Thunder, Johnny Thunder, after escaping the old folks' home, goes to Pittsburgh, where he finds Alan Scott's lantern. Now, here's the thing. Say what? That means Alan Scott never found this lantern. And that comes That's into what that play means. later on. The Joker, and meanwhile, in Gotham, meets up with Marionette and Mime. Batman gets beat up by a bunch of protesters, and then he gets captured by the Joker. <laughs> sure, yeah. And then they, like, wheel him around in a wheelchair for three Pretty issues. much. Issue six, we get the origin of the marionette and the mime, and it is fairly compelling, but not really important to what we're talking about. Joker takes the two to an underground meeting of baddies and presents Batman. Nobody trusts him because how many times has the Joker done this shit? And then the comedian shows up, breaks up the party, and shoots the Riddler and a bunch of other people. (laughs) (laughs) Presumably not shoots them dead. no he just blows the riddler's kneecaps off <laughs> yeah yeah you know it's just a flesh wound so this whole time one of the things that's been going on is the russians have their own super people and they are talking smack about the american super people meanwhile yeah. so like the the situation in the world is that everybody other than america is really pissed about this superman theory. right like saying oh we knew it super duper we totally knew it this makes sense this is america pulling these strings and firestorm has been talking smack back saying no i'm not part of this you guys don't get it i was part of an accident is on tv basically arguing with posar who is like the russian equivalent of firestorm which i can kind of i mean i've never seen this character before so i don't really know that's a that's way back from the 80s but yeah in the meantime, Ozzy is using his cat Bubastis as a 
sort of magnet to track Dr. Manhattan. He leads them to Alan's old lamp because it was touched by Manhattan's power. And this is where what we, does that mean? we start to unravel the mystery. And we'll get into it a little more here, but you'll see. Batman escapes, of course, and busts up the supervillain meeting. Because Bubastis is acting as a magnet, he is able to summon John, right? By honing in on his power or something i don't really yeah, get you know, it this is reasons and he hones right in on that dick yeah he summons john we see his penis but it's not as huge as i remember in fact it's pretty small on this ozzy turns out does not have cancer tricked rorschach so he would help him and rorschach's dad was not in fact friends with kovacs but kovacs the original rorschach's made his dad go insane <laughs> yeah so like they they touch on this in the in the rorschach origin issue uh uh the new rorschach's dad was like writing about right. him trying to make a name for himself or for whatever uh, for as a psychologist or whatever and it turns out uh rorschach just really got into his being yeah. and freak he's him. his harleen quinn basically yeah, exactly. So, uh, something really key in this issue, though, is that we find out that Marionette is pregnant again, hey and her baby is important. Rorschach takes off his mask after he finds out the truth. He beats up Batman. He beats up the Joker. Ozzy beats up Johnny Thunder. Beats up Saturn Girl. Everybody's beating up Wait, everybody. What? And then Ozzy... He's an old man. And then Ozzy Mandia says, I've got a plan. Dr. Manhattan at that point reveals that he cannot see past the future where he confronts Superman. We move to issue eight. Firestar is fighting Pozar in... Storm, Firestorm. Firestorm. Firestorm is fighting Pozar in Moscow. He loses control, and he turns a bunch of people into glass. Superman... Yikes. Yeah. Superman flies to Kondak, talks to Black Adam, tells him, you gotta chill out, bro. All right? You're scaring people. Then he visits Firestorm, who is desperately trying to save one glass kid. He's like in these, in this bunker or whatever. And he keeps trying and trying. The professor is like, you don't get it. Something is wrong. We can't affect biological matter. So the professor has an idea that there's something going on here, but yeah, like firestorm has never historically been able to alter the atomic structure of by of organic stuff. Right, which leads us to believe that maybe there's something going on. Anyway, Soups hooks up with Firestorm, helps him, and Firestorm is able to bring this kid back to life, at which point Superman, turns out, knows the kid. I don't know how it happens, but, like, the kid is all of a sudden fine, and he runs up and goes, Superman, and the kid goes, Privet, which might be a Russian word, or it could be the kid's name. I don't know. <laughs> Regardless. <laughs> I think it's a Russian word. Soups flies back to Moscow, tells Putin that Firestorm can fix this, and Pozar is like, the, the fuck he can, and I'm going to kick Firestorm's ass if he comes back here. The army starts shooting, glass peeps start breaking, Putin says Superman can't be trusted, and Firestorm freaks out. Meanwhile, Batman is telling Superman, don't take a side. You don't understand. And Superman's like, no, we can fix this. And Batman says, that's not Firestorm. At that point, Firestorm freaks out and full-on explodes. Now, what I think he means is that Firestorm is not responsible. Yes, but he does. That was actually Firestorm, but Firestorm did not do that yes. stuff. Yes, but Batman's just kind of yelling at him and trying to get his attention, basically saying yeah, Firestorm's right. not doing this. We go to issue nine. John is on Mars, and he's looking at a Legion ring, and he's thinking about how this ring has traveled time, and it's this weird freak occurrence that he had no control of and didn't see. 
Earth's heroes all yeah. come to Mars and they're all looking for Doc Manhattan. Soups is in a coma after Firestorm exploded. Lex comes to visit Soups and Lois. Lois is like, get the hell out of here. And Lex is like, here's the deal. Something's going on. I'm not here to kill Superman. I'm worried about something even bigger than this. Because Lex, he's a smart guy and he's starting to put it together. Pardon me. Guy Gardner talks a bunch of smack to Dr. Manhattan, punches him, breaks his neck, and goes, Woo, that was easy. And then <laughs> Dr. Manhattan comes back and dissolves Guy's ring. <laughs> yeah. The magic heroes attack. And at that point, Dr. Manhattan goes, Oh, this is very interesting. I've never encountered this. You guys think it's magic, but I can see it's actually just these forces of creation. Get the hell out of my face. John. Now, here's where it gets super interesting. We start to finally see how. Dr. Manhattan is messing with the storyline we remember. Well, but he's not just that. Lex he's also learning things. He's also like, sure. he's surprised by the magic characters. He's like, oh, that's, right. yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Uh, I didn't, because they don't have magic characters where he's from. And it's just. But we, ha we have this moment where Lex is talking to Lois and he explains to her that there's something wrong with the timeline and that there are heroes like Wally West whose histories have definitely been messed yes. with by Dr. Manhattan. Lex knows the timeline is not right. This guy is messing with our lives. Right. And at this point, Dr. Manhattan, Firestorm is there, freaking out. Why did this happen? Dr. Manhattan shows him, reveals that the professor was part of this Superman theory that no one has ever heard of. Professor Stein. And set this yeah. stuff up. Later on, we would realize that maybe that's not the full case. But here, in this present reality, that is how it went down. And Firestorm can't, can't understand it. Metamorpho was apparently in on it. Captain Adam comes out of nowhere, who's effectively the DC Dr. Manhattan, right? Yeah, but he can't, like, do the alternate, the reality, reality But he is stuff. that Charlton character, more or less. Correct. And yes. he comes out of nowhere, and he just nukes John. Boom, he's gone at that yeah, point. that's what he does. Wonder Woman is addressing the UN, saying it's all over, we took care of it, and that's when Black Adam busts in with the baddies, and he's like, hey, I heard that everybody's out of town, we're taking over. <laughs> so, issue 10, Dr. Manhattan, we keep calling him John, his name is John Osterman, right. Dr. Manhattan. He remembers that the first person he ever met in the DC Universe was an actor named Carver Coleman. And we've been watching these Star. black and white movies play out through the story yeah, up, to, uh, up to this point. So uh, the, the, the Nathaniel Dusk movie serials kind of take the place of the tales of the Black Freighter in the sense yes. that they like fill in parts of the story through metaphor and things like that. Uh, Carver, Coleman, Carver Coleman is an actor, like I said, star of this black and white movie series. Uh, Nathaniel Dusk, he's a hard-boiled detective. John goes. Now, this is where it really gets interesting in terms of the timeline. We see Dr. Manhattan going to where Superman first was spotted in 1938. Then he witnesses the formation of the JSA. Then he witnesses something happened with Johnny Thunder's genie. And they're doing, and all of a they're sudden, doing that same thing like they did in the original Watchmen and the Watchmen movie, where yeah, he's where like, like, I'm in 1938, and I see... You know, uh, this Superman lifting right. a car over his head. I see Alan Scott, you know, like grabbing this lamp. Right. It's it's 1940-whatever. I see Alan Scott reach for a green right. lantern to save his life. It's 1940-whatever. I move the lantern six inches away from Alan Scott's reach. There is no green right. lantern. And because of that one thing, 
because of that one thing, uh, Dr. Manhattan erases the Justice Society and ev- essentially erases Superman from that version of the and timeline. And Superboy and the Legion. <laughs> right. And then we cut to uh, 1956, which is basically the, the, uh, the, the, the recognized beginning of the Silver Age version of these characters. Uh, and then 1986, which is post-crisis, the John Byrne version. And so each time we see John kind of messing with Superman's mythos, moving it forward in time and seeing how it affects the world, the universe around him, around uh, Superman. And John keeps saying in this sense, I'm going to meet Superman and I don't know if I'm going to defend myself and destroy creation or Superman is going to kill me. He keeps repeating this, right? He can't. It goes goes back to that, that, to that idea that uh, he cannot see past the moment where Superman confronts him in the present day. And it's in that moment where John, where Dr. Manhattan, John starts to realize because of all these changes that he's made, he has become the enemy of this metaverse that he is in right now. The one that keeps changing. The one constant in that metaverse is Superman. No matter where you move or, or change this thing or slide the timeline Superman always ends up there. Everything is built around the introduction, the creation, the appearance of Superman. And that's why every time they reboot Superman, the timeline of the DC universe is so wildly And there's this thing in the end where Dr. Manhattan, in the end of issue 10, where Dr. Manhattan realizes he's become the enemy of that metaverse because of his inaction, because of not letting things happen and superman is its hero because of his actions which is huge foreshadowing to what happens next (laughs) in issue 11 we see batman stops a nuclear launch he gets arrested black adam whips wonder woman's ass lex tells lois about ozzy and the gang superman wakes up lex has found photos that john has left all over the world with him and carver coleman or him no, uh, not Carvel Coleman. It's just John and Janie. It's the same photo over and over. Oh, that's and over. right. And he f- every time, every time, uh, every time John shows up to mess with something in the timeline, uh, he subconsciously leaves a copy right. of the photo from the fair where he and Janie get their photo taken. And, and Lex Luthor has collected them, and all. he's using them as this map to prove that something is wrong with reality. And he's coming to Lois and saying, this is my proof. She's like, great. What do you want me to do with this? Make everybody panic? And he's like, no, I want you to tell everybody that I discovered it so I can get the credit for it. <laughs> Which is yeah, so right. perfectly <laughs> Lex Luthor. <laughs> Ozzy reveals to Saturn Girl that he was behind the Superman theory. He framed Firestorm, used his cat to cause the explosion in Russia and tells Saturn Girl she's not part of this timeline. At that point, she melts. She goes away. She does. Because that... And this... And this is the point of Doomsday Clock where I started to get real worried yeah. about the delays. <laughs> Me too. It is... Because we had already heard about the uh, Bendis relaunch. Yes. We had all this stuff going on with Superman revealing his identity. Uh, like, it wasn't all... It wasn't all revealed quite back that quite back then, but... We knew that things were happening in the current day DCU that did not And we'll jive go into all that. With what Jeff Johns was we'll doing. We'll go into all that on our holiday cover-to-cover party when we're drunk. That's a good place to discuss the aftermath and how this happened and shit like this. Right now, we're just, we're just doing the TLDR right now. At the end of issue 11, Superman shows up, meets Dr. Manhattan. 
cliffhanger. Now, issue 12. It came out today. Literally. Uh, 12, 18. So, if you haven't figured it out by this point, huge spoilers for Doomsday Clock number yes. 12. The, the Russians have arrived to arrest Superman, despite the fact that he is staring down a glowing blue pantsless guy. Well, not just that. There's been this thing that's going on, and it wasn't, it was even before this, when like the American army showed up to arrest Superman, like, we don't want any trouble, Superman. Everyone is acting like the bad guys in the old black and white Superman TV show where they like shoot him and shoot him and shoot him and it doesn't work, and then they throw their gun at him. You know, it's like, it's Superman. What the fuck are you gonna do? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. So the Russians show up, Black Adam shows up, everybody wants a piece of Superman. They're like, it is a free-for-all. Superman is fighting the amassed collection of all of DC's obscure international heroes. Matt and I had a conversation earlier today about who the fuck some of these characters I'm pretty were. sure one of them was Fuji He's from like, Stormwatch. I am pretty goddamn is sure. Is that guy Fuji from Stormwatch? And I'm like, He's got a Japanese son. See- he has three fingers. He's got the big elephant trunk feet. It's got to be him, okay? <laughs> Do you see any other characters from Stormwatch in that? I don't care. I saw that one. And that's all that matters. Anyway, it was not Superman is fighting Um, all these guys. He's getting his ass kicked. And Dr. Manhattan is standing and watching. And in that moment, not while he is watching it happen, he's think this is the moment. This is the moment. Dr. Manhattan is like, I don't see past this. And he can't figure out why. And he's thinking about all the things he did to change this reality, to lead it to a different spot. And it's still, he can't see beyond this moment. And the one thing that he didn't see coming is when Superman turns and looks at him and his eyes light up red. And he's like, this is it. This is where Superman kills me. I wonder if I'm going to kill him. And instead Superman flies up and punches Pozar, the Russian firestorm who was going and say, was him. going to attack Dr. Manhattan and Dr. Manhattan turns and looks and goes, why did you do that? <laughs> it just, completely throws him that Superman defended him, even though he has been behind all of this. And Superman now knows it in that moment. John is uniquely inspired by Superman's bravery and everything stops. And he goes back to that moment where it's 1938 and I'm at the car crash. It's 1940. But instead of sliding the, the, you know, the green lantern away from Alan Scott, he pushes it close back to where it was. He does all these. Oh, and that's that. That's where I started to get emotional <laughs> because Alan Scott gets the Green Lantern, and the next scene we see is Pa Kent, yeah, telling young Clark on the way to the prom about the heroism of the Justice yes. Society. Yes, and in that moment, just as they're about to hit a tree and die, Superboy stops the car. And God all of a sudden, Superboy is like back in reality. And then yeah. we see that same Legion ring that had traveled time and Saturn Girl picks it up and puts it on. And all of a sudden, it's like everything comes back. And John is like basically undoing everything he did to fuck with the timeline and understanding then, that like oh. no matter what I would have done, this metaverse, this DC-52U has a hero that would stop me and his name is superman yeah and he says from- uh, john says uh so we get a, we get some really cool moments here where uh yeah 1000 years from now a young girl named imra 
saves the life of intergalactic philanthropist R.J. Brand. On July 7th, 1917, Johnny Thunder is born and kidnapped in Bodnesia. And then we see somebody talking to Johnny Thunder. He says, Johnny, you've been searching for your genie this whole time when you forgot. You became the Thunderbolt, which is a direct reference to Jeff Johns' run on yep. JSA. And Johnny says, oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> and then he disappears. <laughs> And then there's a caption that says the future. It's Dr. Manhattan. He says the future and the past are free. Superman's getting his ass kicked. We get a word bubble that says, there he is. A little telepathic push will clear them away. Superman says the word. Uh, oh, no. Uh, you, we see a, a, a shadowed figure that says, you remember us now, don't you? And Superman says, Imra. And the next thing we, oh, and then it's... <laughs> Settle down. Listen to you. And then it's that fucking stupid helmet and a and a word balloon that says, sorry, we're late, son. And then it's a two-page spread with the reborn Brian Michael Bendis Legion of Superheroes and Jeff Johns' Justice Society of America from like the 2000s yeah. where they're grown ups. And I just where they're well where they're elderly with the legacy and I heroes. Just melt and it. Superman says <laughs> better late than never. And I just, my brain yeah, shut off. Yeah, I melted. I didn't like, care what else happened. Sat down in my in my chair. I was I was standing at my standing desk at work. And I sat down. I was like, oh god. <laughs> it, and from there, like we, you get to see Doctor Manhattan flash even further in the future and explain like, look, there's going to be. It's this very meta story where he's explaining we're gonna yeah. start shit over. We're going to update stuff. And, but the one and thing I that is constant about- and important <sighs> is that we not only understand the characters that we're updating, but we pay homage to the stuff that came before and we don't destroy the history of these characters. It's Jeff. Ju- and it all revolves around. Superman. Yes. And that's, that's what brings me to something Jeff Johns. Like we talked a lot in, in the, in the previous months about like, where the fuck has Jeff Johns been? And all of a sudden, in the lead up to Doomsday Clock 12, he's done like two or three different interviews with all the biggest comic sites. And here's Jeff Johns. And something he said in one of the interviews I read uh, was something to the effect of Doomsday Clock is not the lead in to the next big DC event, it is the lead in to the future of the DC universe, period. DC, like the philosophy of DC comics. And it is that. Things are going to get rebooted. Things are going to get slid around. The timeline's going to change. The spirit will remain the right. same. And I mean, he used Dr. Manhattan basically as all the creators that have messed around with the DC timeline, with Superman's timeline, with anything that you didn't like that started, that restarted. He used him as a metaphor for that to say, get over it. The thing that's important is we are paying attention. We love these characters. We know that you love them and they're going to be okay. Well, and not just get over it, but these things have been restored. They matter. They count. Um, We get, we get a lot of glimpses of past continuities that we loved like earth two and uh, the uh, pre-crisis. They mentioned this five. They even made a point to like, yeah, they even made a point to say that the flashpoint and the 50 uh, new 52 have been preserved somewhere out there. Uh, And then we get a lot of mentions of, Futures yet to come, uh, and one of them is f- is this five G thing we've talked about in the past, uh, and 
there are no details. It's all hinted at. We don't know how it's going to work. We don't know how it's going to come to pass. But we all we 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 get this assurance that the spirit of the DC universe will remain intact. Does that yeah, make no, sense? absolutely. That right? And I mean, if nothing else, there are plenty of people that are upset, and we'll go into that on Saturday. We'll go into it more. But there are plenty of people that are upset that they drug Alan Moore's creations into this. I can't think of a better character outside of them inventing one than Dr. Manhattan to illustrate this idea. I really can't. Right, because his whole deal was a passive... Yeah. A passive observance, even um, indifference, where it's like none of this right. matters. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing just to see how it and works. And in, in like meeting the DCU and meeting these characters and seeing Superman and seeing how he's influenced all these people, he learns, I'm wrong. There is hope. And he even restores like his own, his old world and saves the Watchmen he re- universe. And I'm not gonna go into. Yeah, I'm not gonna go into the very end. I want. I think we should maybe save yeah. that. Yeah, you read it. Um, but there is a very sweet end to the Watchmen universe. <laughs> yeah, and uh, again, he ties it all back to Superman. And I will say that other than the JSA and the Legion and everything kind of being restored to the DC universe, um, one of the biggest uh, takeaways is that yeah, Ma and Pa Kent are yeah. back. And they are reunited with Clark and Lois in the present day, and it's just the fucking best. Well, we'll see. They still have to connect this to the regular DCU. So <laughs> we'll see. Now that's what I that's you know, we talk about things like um the Alfred right. thing, uh and, and uh Superman revealing his identity. Uh, this whole series has been about Dr. Manhattan poking the timeline right. and seeing it ripple. And I think that a lot of that stuff can just be accounted to like the timeline still settling. Things things happened in the event in the events of Doomsday Clock. Maybe they don't count right. anymore. Or you could say this happened uh, a week maybe, before maybe Alfred only, died. I don't know. I mean, yeah, right. Or and maybe only the broad strokes count. Maybe the whole Superman theory thing is not going to come back and bite anybody. Uh, but this issue ends with the Superman theory still very much being a thing. They talk about Martin Stein getting like indicted. Yeah, yeah that's true. So I mean, we'll see. Uh, we will see how this affects things. Scott Snyder has already come out and said yes. We, it, this is part of the DCU and it's up to us to connect it and we will. So we'll see. And now you know. So don't waste your money in Doomsday Clock. We just told it better than Jeff Johns ever could have. Of course, we want to know what you thought of Doomsday Clocks. So you better call us at our drunk holiday party this weekend, four to five central standard time on cover to cover. We're counting you, you jerks. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> That is it for THN 555. And next week, we're taking Christmas off because we need to hang with the family. But we'll be back with the annual THN Best of the Year show, handing out our Golden Beppo Awards to all the cool shit that happened in comics in 2019. Joe Patrick, ask these nerds a new question of the week. This week's question was submitted by Brian Domingos via the THN forums. Which creators have you gotten into this year after not being aware of them prior to 2019? They don't have to be new to comics, just new to you. Of course, we're always looking for new question of the week suggestions. Shoot those our way. You can go to the forums. 
If you're new to this show and you'd rather smack us with Doc Manhattan's big blue dick than listen to another second, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twitinner.com. Host that many episodes. It ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like Jane Louise Tarrington. That's got to be Mark Tarrington's wife, right? Yeah, I think Ball has something yeah, to do with that. Yeah, I had one. a feeling. Probably took over her bank account or something. Though I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> thank you to the Tarrington family. And Jane Louise, if you're listening, uh, I hope you don't cut us off. <laughs> yeah, really sorry. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to friend of the show, Chris Mounts, who stood firm while his company eliminated him and 90 of his fellow workers because they would not allow their union to be broken by corporate interests. Word to you, Chris. We are proud of you That's all, That's right, brother. Chris. The people united will never be defeated. Until next time, true believers. Remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer just might get some union busters to completely destroy the condition of your entire stack. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off and wishing you a very happy holiday.